Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Your Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 175. For anyone who has eyes to see it, personally, and this is speaking as a subscriber to Scientific American here, I feel very sorry for the professionals whenever they find another confusing skull, something that belonged to the wrong sort of people, or whenever they find statues or artifacts that confuse them. For they'll talk about the odd, but they won't talk about the impossible, which is where I feel sorry for them. For as soon as something becomes impossible, it slip-slides out of belief entirely, whether it's true or not. I mean, here's a skull that shows the Ainu, the Japanese aboriginal race, were in America 9,000 years ago. Here's another that shows there were Polynesians in California near t- nearly 2,000 years later. And all the scientists mutter and puzzle over who's descended from whom, missing the point entirely. Heaven knows what'll happen if they ever actually find the Hopi emergence tunnels. That'll shake a few things up, you just wait. Did the Irish come to America in the Dark Ages, you ask me? Of course they did, in the Welsh and the Vikings, while the Africans from the West Coast, what in later days they called the Slave Coast or the Ivory Coast, they were trading with South America. And the Chinese visited Oregon a couple of times. They called it Fusang. The Basque established their secret, sacred fishing grounds off the coast of Newfoundland 1,200 years back. Now I suppose you're going to say, but Mr. Ibis, these people were primitives. They didn't have radio controls and vitamin pills and jet airplanes. Shadow hadn't said anything and hadn't planned to say anything, but he felt it was required of him, so he said, Well, weren't they? The last dead leaves of the autumn cracked underfoot winter crisp. The misconception is that men didn't travel long distances in boats before the days of Columbus. Yet New Zealand and Tahiti and countless Pacific islands were settled by people in boats whose navigation skills would have put Columbus to shame. And the wealth of Africa was from trading, although that was mostly to the east, to India and China. My people, the Nile folk, we discovered early on that a reed boat will take you around the world if you have the patience and enough jars of sweet water. You see, the biggest problem with coming to America in the old days was that there wasn't a lot here that anyone wanted to trade, and it was much too far away. And that's our page. Scientific American, mentioned by Mr. Ibis, is a popular science magazine first published August 28, 1845, and became a monthly magazine in 1921. Currently has a circulation of about 335,000. It has featured numerous articles of scientific ideas, but the thing I was surprised to find was that the magazine reported in 1860 on an invention that was designed to lift boats over river obstructions designed and patented by Abraham Lincoln in 1849. Yes, it's that, Abraham Lincoln. Patent number 6469, and Lincoln is the only president to have registered an item for patent. Mr. Ibis notes, accurately I'd say, that if something is merely odd, it will be considered, but if a similar thing or the exact same thing becomes an impossible idea, it is discredited entirely. Of course, if he had watched Futurama on April 9th, 2000, he would have heard Professor Farnsworth exclaim, nothing is impossible, that's what being a scientist is all about. But I feel like he's probably not in the target audience for that. Ibis suggests that one something... Once something is considered impossible, it won't be believed no matter what, even if it's true. And this is part of the core idea of the novel, the way belief affects the gods in America. Once a god has no more believers, the god will die. Similarly, if an idea is literally unbelievable, then it will die. And what are the gods of American gods except ideas, or perhaps stories? Mr. Ibis then discusses some supposed impossibilities, starting with an Ainu skull being discovered in America. I couldn't find the specific reference of the skull being discovered, or at least not a reliable source, 
but there have been scientific studies of genetics that have discovered common genes shared by Native American populations and Ainu populations, and similar markers seen in New Zealand, China, and also in the Inuit people. The Ainu, as Mr. Ibis suggests, are an aboriginal group from Japan that now numbers between 25,000 and 200,000, but uh, assimilation into the Japanese population has confused this number a bit. I would also note that his statements here don't have a lot of scientific support, but at the same time, if we're dealing with a conversation over what is possible versus what is impossible, well, I guess I need to kind of bury that a bit. As with the Ainu people, there are genetics in people in places like Polynesia that are also found in South American nations, so perhaps the truth will out in the end. The Hopi emergence tunnels Mr. Ibis mentioned stem from a Hopi myth that states the Hopi people were delivered to the earth known as the Fourth World, which I don't think is a Jack Kirby reference, but, you know, maybe he went back in time 2,000 years. Anyway, the people were delivered to Earth, I also known as the Fourth World, by Spider Grandmother through a hole known as the Sipapu, often considered to be the Grand Canyon in the myth. It's a fascinating myth, and it has its own section on Wikipedia, and I would suggest you check it out so you don't have me just blabbing possibly incorrectly about it here. Mr. Ibis then suggests that the Irish and the Welsh came to America in the Dark Times. Nope, that's Star Wars. In the Dark Ages, the Irish do have a legend about a monk named St. Brendan who sailed west across the Atlantic to discover paradise, and that dates back to about the 9th century. Brendan was a real person who lived from 484 CE to 527 CE, and his supposed voyage was first written about in Sancti Brandandi Abbotus, or The Voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot. The story is an early example of the Irish literary genre Imram, which translates to voyage, where the hero sails off to an unknown land, in his case known as Tir Na Nog, an island that is often considered to be paradise. In 1977, a British man named Tem, Tim Severin sailed from Ireland to the Americas in an Irish boat known as a Curragh. It was a 36-foot-long boat he made using hand tools, and he was able to sail successfully from Ireland to Newfoundland over 13 months, and this was actually documented in a book entitled The Brendan Voyage, written by Severin himself. Within wealth mythology, a prince named Maddox sailed to America in 1170. While no archaeological evidence has been presented, some evidence that members of the Monacan tribe in what is now known as Virginia were speaking a language that resembled Welsh appear as recently as six, or as as far back as 1608, and Thomas Jefferson had heard of Welsh-speaking natives and referenced this in a letter to explorer Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark fame. Did I say Lewis and Clark or Lois and Clark? He was not on mid-90s Dean Cain, Terry Hatcher, Lois and Clark. He was the Lewis of Lewis and Clark. Uh, where was I? Shit. Um, oh, the Thomas Jefferson letter was 1804. We've already touched upon the Vikings in the first Coming to America story, so you can go back to pages 62 and 64 if you need to review that. This episode's already going on quite a bit. The theory of African peoples coming to Central and South America also goes back quite some time and is mostly connected to the Olmecs, who lived in south-central Mexico. Aspects of the culture are similar to the Mandinka people of Africa, including some of the religious symbols and uh, similar words with similar meanings. Some of Columbus's journals also reported that people on the island of Hispaniola claimed to have been visited by, quote, black people whose spears were made of a metal called guanin, 
Guanin is an alloy of copper, silver, and gold, and it was common throughout parts of Central and South America in the 1400s and 1500s, but gold itself was not, and Columbus was told that they expected these same people to return with more gold in the future. The Chinese armada mentioned by Mr. Ibis is real and was the subject of the book 1421, The Year China Discovered the World. In the book, British author Gavin Menzies claims that China sailed this fleet to America, though apparently, and as someone who worked in the bookstore for a decade, I did not realize that many historians dismissed Menzies' books out of hand as being wholly inaccurate and wholly incorrect. The fleet, though, whether it sailed to America or not, was led by a man named Zhang He, and the fleet did sail as far as eastern Africa. Ships of the same size as Zhang's are described by Marco Polo, though Marco Polo would have predated Zhang by about 100 years. I really only mention that so I can talk about Sandman again. Issue 39, entitled Soft Places, details the crossing of the Desert of Lop in China by a young Marco Polo. It's a great issue, not related on to anything on the page of particular note here, but it's, it's worth checking out if you've got a... 30-minute time in your day. Anyway, I guess I should wrap this up. Fusang may or may not have been a reference to America. Several myths discuss travel to this mysterious land, but supposedly a sea monster blocked the way on a 210 BCE expedition to find the elixir of life. In some aspects of Chinese mythology, Fusang is thought to be Japan, but the idea that it would be either in the Pacific Northwest of the United States or British Columbia and Canada goes back to French historian Joseph de Guigny in 1761. Mr. Ibis also mentions the Basque people. They are thought to predate the arrival of most of the peoples we would traditionally think as Western European in modern days, even predating the arrival of the Romans to those same parts of Europe. They traditionally occupied parts of north-central Spain and southwestern France, and apparently this theory has more archaeological legs than some of the others I've talked about on the page. There's also archaeological evidence that bass traders were traveling and trading in both Canada and South America. Uh, an article on smithsonianmag.com notes that the Basques were often overlooked because they came as traders and not colonialists. I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information about a supposed sacred fishing ground, but apparently it was known that the Basque people traveled the waters off the coast of eastern Canada in search of whales for their blubber and whatnot as early as 1500, though their trade in whaling is written about as early as 1050 BCE, not specifically eastern Canada Atlantic whales, but it could be. Journalist Mark Kolansky has a book entitled The Basque History of the World that I'll probably actually end up reading whenever I finish this project. Okay, we've gone on long enough, but I'm going to keep going because I have more information. Reed boats go back thousands and thousands of years, at least as far as 5000 BCE. Based on boats discovered in Kuwait, similar boats were also used in Egypt, as Mr. Ibis mentions, but these designs appear in South America as well. I'm not saying this is a connection, but it's definitely a popular style of boat. Sweet water, as far as I can tell, is just another way to refer to fresh water. It's also a band or two any number of cities and towns throughout America, but I wouldn't read too much into that. Or, well, maybe I would if I hadn't been gassing on for almost 13 minutes as it is. Finally, and I do mean it, Mr. Ibis talks and talks while occasionally waiting for Shadow to reply, though Shadow sticks to the script that Mr. Ibis is projecting, and I love that whole scene. Mr. Ibis does make a good point in all this. 
There just wasn't a reason to travel all the way to America from the ancient world, especially given how far away it was from everything else. What did America have that wouldn't have been available in China or India or other parts of the world that didn't require you to go on a boat for months and months and months at a time? At least, not until white people found out there were people here who didn't believe in Jesus, but, well, I guess that's a story for another day. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash worldbeyondpodcast. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real. <laughs>